Hello everyone, this is Sarah from Better Babies and welcome to another podcast special. This time we are once again lucky enough to be joined by one of our esteemed Better Babies expert advisors, Mahantesh Karoshi, who's very kindly agreed to come and talk to us all about egg freezing. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems to me like egg freezing has become much more of a social norm. So I thought, what better than to dig into Mahantish's brains all around the subject. So Mahantish, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Sarah, for inviting me for this exciting discussion we're going to have today. Pleasure. So Mahantish and I were talking before the podcast began about actually how uh, egg freezing came about in the first place. So we thought it would be a good idea just to put it in context and give a bigger picture as to how this whole thing started and how it's become so much more of a, a normal thing. So mm. Mahantesh, tell us, what's the background? Okay, so the background starts with birth of first IVF baby about approximately 40 years ago. So that gave us confidence to do much more than IVF babies. So then... Uh, in, ter- in, in case of men, they started freezing the semen sample, millions of sperm, so they were aiming to get few alive sperm after unfreezing the semen sample. They got confidence in freezing and unfreezing semen sample. And Is that because it worked so well? It, it worked so well. And then they started uh, freezing the embryos, and then they, the results showed that actually frozen embryo transfer doing much better than fresh embryos, so more confidence, and then they moved the goalpost to freezing the eggs. In between, there's a freezing of ovarian tissue available, but it is more complicated, more invasive. So people have moved away from freezing the ovarian tissue to freeze the eggs. So one of the things you mentioned to me earlier before we Mm. started this was Mm. that frozen embryos were doing better than fresh. That just blew my mind. I didn't realize that. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so when you do the fresh embryo transfer, the problem is women gets Uh, different types of injections and they all have impact on the endometrial lining so you want that effect to slowly fade away the only way you can make that fade away is to take a break so your embryo is growing and there's no way you're going to do the transfer if you're going to take a break so what they do is they freeze the embryo give one or two months of break so all the effects of hormones on the endometrium uterine lining fades away and then you restart focusing on the fresh growth of endometrium. Makes sense. So yeah. you said that this has been around really since IVF. Yes. So this is when it all started really, from Correct. back from when we had the first IVF baby, which was a UK thing, was it yes, not? Yes, Louise Brown. Yes. She's the first world UK baby still alive and her daughter has recently given birth, a natural baby. Really? Yes. Oh, I so didn't know IVF that. doesn't run in families. Ah, good to know. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, as we were saying, it seems to become it seems to have become a little bit more, I guess, normal or something that people are doing more of these days. And you said obviously it started back originally when mm. IVF came in, but I don't know about you. That's my perception. What are you seeing in terms of your practice? Are you seeing more people consider egg freezing? What are the trends that you're yes. seeing? So the trends are the typical uh, patients coming to my office are well-educated, well-informed, and their friends did it, and they don't want to miss the boat. That's the kind of 
people, they come and explore these options. So do you think it's becoming more common that you're seeing people come and ask you about Correct. it now? And yes. do you think that's been something over the last five years or last two years or... Or is it just a steady increase? I would say last five years slowly building up, but in the last two years, it's kind of my 50% of patients coming to me, uh, some way or the other way are exploring this option. Wow, yeah. interesting. That's yeah. quite a, a big change actually. Yeah. And why do you think that is? Do you think it's purely because people are now more aware that it exists, it's becoming more socially acceptable, or do you think people are trusting the technology more? Or is it because, you know, we're getting older and we're worried because of these social changes, the effect on our fertility? I think the biggest thing is social awareness. Um, You know, social media, everyone talking about openly about it. I had it, so you can have it. It's more about openness and actually the simplicity of the procedure. It's not as complicated as other procedures some women have to undergo. And also giving, having that security that I've frozen my eggs I can live freely for another 10 years, going to be a mother soon. Yeah, Yeah. I suppose that's the thing. Our modern lives have changed. You know, it used to be the case that when we were kind of 20s, we'd be ready, settle down, get married, have kids. And now things have just changed pretty dramatically. Correct. Boundaries are moved all the time. (laughs) Okay, so it's obviously become much more socially acceptable. So... If I could say to you, right, Mm. the perfect candidate for egg freezing is going to walk through your door in two minutes' time. What does that perfect candidate look like? What are the main criteria that you're looking for? The single most uh, important criteria for me is woman's age. Okay? And the perfect age, you asked me, so perfect age for me is 25. Okay? At age 25, 80% of eggs she releases ovulation, they are... Uh, genetically normal. So in that woman, when she achieves pregnancy, fertilization, 50 to 60% are genetically normal embryos. So then onwards, you're in the declining phase. So at age 35, 50% of embryos are genetically normal. Between 36 to 40, 35%. Uh, Between 40 to 42 years, 20% more than 42 years old, less than 10% are genetically normal. Wow. So what we need to understand the egg freezing or social freezing is the ultimate aim is to obtain genetically normal embryo. And you want to, if you, if you freeze more than 20 eggs, you want to know how many eggs will be fertilized and they will have genetically normal embryos. So, okay, so taking what you've said, so let's say, for example, I'm 35. Correct. So you said 50% will be genetically normal, so five out of, say, I have 10 will be viable. Now, how will I find out? So say Mm. I came to you as a 35-year-old and I wanted to get my eggs frozen and we harvested 10. Mm. How do you find out that 50% of those are not genetically normal? Like, how do you understand that? Yeah. So the technology is existing. It's used right and left at, the, uh, at this stage. Uh, you do simple uh, pre-implantation genetic diagnosis or screening. So you take one or two cells from the embryo day five of the embryo and you subject it for analysis. While the analysis is going on, you freeze the embryo and wait for the report. If the report is normal, so that is genetically normal. If the report is abnormal, that is genetically abnormal. 
And what we also know is that when you transfer the genetically normal embryos, the implantation rate goes up to 90%. It's much higher, yeah. And if you don't do the test and you just transfer, the implantation rate goes down substantially. I suppose that's the body's natural filter mechanism, Correct. isn't it? Yes. It's really clever. So when I say I was to freeze my eggs, would it be that automatically I'd get this genetic screening done or would I have to ask for that to happen additionally? So when you decided to choose you uh, choose uh, freezing your eggs, the eggs are not genetically going to be tested. When you bring your Mr. Right and his sperm gets fertilized your egg, then day five embryo they take us one or two cells from the embryo and then they test ah it's testing the embryo rather than the egg yes got you okay but will everyone offer that service or do you have to ask for it additionally Um, they will have to pay extra fees right but most ivf clinics who offer this kind of service they all by default have to explore this option to the patient well i suppose you could argue it's better value for money to spend that money because if you're going to be implanting eggs that aren't genetically normal yes. you're probably gonna to have to go around another Correct. round so, so another cycle is equal to your one or two uh, pgs cycle cost so it's called a pgs pre-implantation genetic screening or pre-implantation genetic diagnosis both are used invariably like you know. now is there any risk of damaging the embryos by taking these cells so or far not? no evidence has shown ah, okay yeah, this is, uh, the jury is not out Okay. The jury more uh, jury is in favor for actually doing the pre-implantation genetic diagnosis rather than not doing it, unless couple have ethical considerations. So coming back to your ideal candidate, so yeah. would you say then it's kind of linked to your age? So if this ideal candidate comes in who's 25, you probably wouldn't need with those statistics to have this genetic screening, would you say? I, I wouldn't. Huh? That's a very good question. So if I've got a... This analogy works for egg donors because egg donors are university students. They are in their 20s and they are donating eggs for many reasons, financial gains mainly, uh, but to help the would-be mothers who are in their 40s. So in in many countries, when uh, patients undergo through the egg donation IVF cycle, they are not offered PGS or PGD because they know 80% of embryos by default are going to be genetically normal. So they don't add more cost to the already economically stretched 40-year-old mother. Yeah, that makes sense. That's an interesting point. So are you seeing more egg freezing going on for donation? Because I would imagine that because we're all getting older now when we're having kids and, you know, say, for example, I was 42 and I wanted to come to you and you said to me, you know what? honestly you need to get egg donation done well obviously that's a route i would go down and Mm. so if you are getting more older mothers coming in are you seeing more kind of egg donation cases that's certainly the case and by by rule i should i should be exploring that option openly like rather than trying your own eggs which i know that less than 10 percent success rate where I have to say that actually if you go through the egg donation, if you have three cycles with egg donor cycles, 90% success uh, rate compared to less than 10%. Yeah. Okay, so coming right back again to this perfect candidate. So is age really the only thing? Yes, age okay. is the single most criteria for everything we do in IVF. Woman's age, to okay. be precise. So basically what you're saying is if you're listening to this and you're kind of in your mid to kind of 
later 20s. You sh- mm. This is exactly the time that yes. you should be thinking right. about it. Now, what happens again, coming back to the fact that I'm 35, mm. what happens if I am 35 and I think, oh, you know, I haven't met Mr. Right. Is this too late for me to think about freezing my eggs? What's your view yeah. here? Um, freezing eggs is an invasive intervention, so we shouldn't take it lightly. Uh, at the same time, I wouldn't reject completely saying you're too old, go away. Mm-hmm. But I will put the facts into her mind and then she will have to make that decision. But generally, if you go through any IVF clinics, more than 40, they don't want to do it because 80 to 90% of embryos she will produce are genetically abnormal. And you, will, you, will, you want to harvest at least 10 to 20 eggs when you stimulate and if you end up producing two or four eggs it's not enough because the loss of embryo rate is around 40 percent so it's not worth it when uh, you've got a 40 year old asking for freezing the eggs okay so i would say up to 40 or ideal one is between 25 to 35 that's my best candidate for so talking about again coming back to this best candidate so you say that ideally you want to harvest 10 to 20 eggs now that's purely because you get this kind of 40 percent drop-off rate and that's a combination of genetic abnormalities and other things or is it just on average genetic Um, abnormalities most of the the failure or embryos not growing is because they have genetic inherent genetic abnormality and that's the reason they didn't get up to day five stage Okay, so you talk about day five stage. Can you yeah. talk to us a little bit more? Because I've heard this terminology. I've heard mm. day three. Yes. I've heard blastocyst. I've yes. heard embryo. Correct. Can you give us a little bit, just so yeah. if we were going through the process, so we yeah. understand the terminology. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, start with what day three is, yeah. start with what day five okay. is. So when, uh, let's go back a step before. So when you, let's say you're going for an IVF mm-hmm. cycle, we collect your egg and we put egg and sperm together and tomorrow we go back to the lab and we look for evidence of fertilization. So that is your day one. So if you're lucky, fertilization happens, that's your day one. And how so do you, you tell? Oh, so you tell you because see, you, you see, see you one see cell cells. go to two cells. Correct. Okay, yeah. got and it. And then you come back next day, multiplication of two cells into four, four to eight, eight becomes 16, like that. You see multiple. So that's your day two. And also, while this is happening, you will see different morphological features under electron microscope. And then the same thing happens to day three. By day four and day five, this is where the quality of embryo matters. So if the the embryo has genetic abnormality, they they call it a stopping of further growth of embryos. Stop. Okay? So if the embryo is biologically normal, or euploidy, genetically normal, it will carry on growing from day three to day five. Having said this, if a mother is 40 years old, day three to day five, majority will drop growing, stop growing. Ah, so that's when you can really tell. Correct. So if you've got a successful embryo which has grown to day five and it is showing continuous proliferation of cells, then I've got confidence that this is going to grow well inside that mother's womb. So it's at that point that you will freeze it. Uh, yeah. And also we offer PGS or PGD for day five to be sure that this embryo is genetically normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that so makes you, sense. You, you take a cell biopsy, you freeze it while waiting for the report. Ah, uh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So we've... Now, 
I have heard that some people get day three embryos implanted. So why would someone get a day three embryo implanted? And why would some people get a day five? And what's the main difference? Um, So if you go back, you will have lots of day three embryos where couple are anxious. They don't want to miss the chance. They have these beliefs or the clinics do have belief saying that you can have successful day three and let's see what happens if we transfer it to your inside your uterus, you create more biological environment rather than... So more chance for it to grow. Yeah, that's the theory. But lots of clinics and scientific literature doesn't support that. The ideal scenarios, the situation should be day five embryo transfer if they're aiming for successful pregnancy and successful outcome. Because theoretically that means it's a stronger, more viable egg. It has already gone through that uh, stress test. So on that subject, I heard that there are grades that are given to embryos. So it's like grade A, grade B. Can you, and I suppose this would again link back to your ideal candidate. So can you talk to us about the difference of the grading and if this is related to age? So is it that, you know, a 25-year-old, your Mm. ideal candidate will more likely have more grade A's? Correct. Can you explain that a little bit? Um, So they they look for different parameters, how how the cells divide, uh, the total number of cells, cell wall thickness, and whether the, you know, the hatching has happened on its own or hatching hasn't happened by day five, whether it needs helping. Uh, and also the way the cells look under microscope, how cloudy they are, is there a lot of uh, material which shouldn't be there, uh, you know, the cell debris we talk about, yeah. So clever. Yes. So ideally, of course, your ideal candidate will be 25 years old and have lots of grade A embryos to choose from. And if you can implant yeah. one of those in, then right. your chance of success will be pretty high. Yeah. My thought process is if you give me a 25-year-old, I would highly likely imagine that she will only produce grade A embryos. Right. But if you give me a 40-year-old, highly likely she will end up producing grade B or grade C embryos. Right. Okay. That makes sense, Mm. I suppose. Yeah. Okay. So let's pretend I am a new candidate and I'm going to come into your office and I'm going to start the process. Correct. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you... Hi, I'm 28 years old. I'm desperate to get my eggs frozen, but I'm really unsure. Can you walk me through exactly the process that I will be going through? Perfect. So I will simplify it. So you're 28, perfect candidate, perfect age. Uh, What we will do is you will need two things done before we take you on to the egg freezing cycle. You need a blood test for your anti-mullerian hormone testing to understand your ovarian reserve. And then you need an ultrasound scan to understand how your ovaries are functioning, whether you've got any existing cyst in your ovary which contraindicates stimulation, okay? So why AMH done? AMH will predict how you will respond to the stimulatory injections we're going to give it to you. So if your AMH is more than 15, then we'll be using standard dose. Uh, stimulatory injections to stimulate your uh, ovaries to produce eggs okay but if your AMH is less than 15 we will be using double the dose of stimulatory injections can I just add a curveball in here because personally I've got polycystic ovaries correct so I have very high AMH does that mean you use even less because I could get hyperstimulation yeah so we'll be using half the dose in in women with polycystic ovaries 
and also for egg freezing women we will be monitoring them will be monitoring to see how they are responding if they if we find that actually their response is suboptimal then immediately we'll be doubling the dose but these are kind of rough uh, idea how things will evolve as time goes on and can you talk a little bit about the drugs that you actually use yeah. for this stimulation so what exactly causes yeah. you know you suddenly these follicle maturations which is i guess sure. what it is correct so from a bigger perspective as a woman you will be producing fsh follicle stimulating hormone which will stimulate your follicles to grow so imagine this if you produce one unit of fsh you produce one egg but i want 20 eggs from your body so imagine this we'll be giving you 20 units of fsh to make 20 eggs so that's a kind of analogy to make it simplified but Got it. the the scientific principle remains the same ah, okay. but if you got pco i won't be giving you 20 units i'll be giving you 10 units to make sure you don't hyper respond and obviously if i've got as you said mm. um an amh of below 15 you'd be having to give me more correct so this drug basically stimulates the follicles to develop and to mature so then you can harvest them correct okay and then you said the next thing you do is to have a look at the ovaries themselves so what exactly are you looking for so there? imagine this so we started giving you stimulatory injections fsh injections and how do we know you're responding so we teach you how to self-inject so on a daily basis which is happening inside your body not anymore we'll be giving you externally administered fsh injections and the way we know you're responding is by doing an ultrasound scan measuring the egg follicle growth seeing whether you're producing 10 or 20 or less than 10 and then you adjust the dose accordingly. adjust the dose correct. okay so let's say i've had my amh done mm. let's say i'm not pcos and that i just have an amh of say 16 just correct. to make things easy so i've yeah. had that done yeah. and i've had my ultrasound and it looks okay so mm. then what's our next step like so, the actual kind of direct steps yeah. that i so would go through we will show you a video of how to self-administer the injections or we can give you a first injection by one of the staff nurses so that you become confident to self-administer the injections. Usually the injection phase lasts for about a week. So when you are on your sixth injection, we repeat your scan to see how well you responded. Usually, if you are a good responder, by now you will be producing follicle sizes of from about 12 to 16 millimeters. So that is the aim. So if you get to that, we count, and if you reach around between 10 to 20, our goal is achieved. Okay, so it goes back to this thing that you want 10 to 20. Correct. Okay. So the whole aim of egg freezing is to freeze about 20 eggs. So are these injections painful that you have um, to give to yourself? They're not that painful. Okay. Uh, of course, when you say injection, it's always pain comes into the mind, yeah. but um, it's more fear than actual pain. Okay, and do I have to start these injections at a particular time in my cycle? Correct, because that's how we want your, egg, uh, your ovaries to respond. Yeah. So at what stage in my cycle do we start this? So what we do is uh, we, we develop artificial synchronicity. So it doesn't matter which, which day of your cycle you are in. So what we do normally is give you birth control pills for one month. And then we make you have your artificial period and then we take full control of 
your cycle. So you like reset it basically. Correct. Biological resetting. Ah, okay. So I come into your office. I have these two. T- so I have my AMH. I have my ultrasound. Then he said, right, we're good. We're ready to go. Yeah. So then you give me birth control pills for one month. Correct. We reset my cycle. Yes. So say I. So then do I come back in to see you on day one? Yeah. So of my day cycle. One, yeah. Day so when I get I my period. See, correct. Day one, I want to see whether you have any pre-existing ovarian follicles or any cysts in your ovaries. So that's kind of our baseline ultrasound scan. Okay, so I come back in yeah. day one and we have our baseline scan. scan correct. Okay. Yeah. And, and on then... the same day, I measure your AMH level to, uh, to decide precise dose of your stimulatory injections. Okay. Yeah. So then um, you give me my pack of injections yeah decided by you on the dosage based Correct. on what you've seen and so then i have to give injections to myself for seven days Correct. You, yourself or if you have a friend or any relative can give it most uh, patients choose their friends to give it because self-injection they yeah, find it's it traumatic, a bit nasty the do love it. <laughs> maybe yeah. if you've got a friend who's angry with you you yeah, can yeah, like yeah. encourage yeah. them yeah. Put, or stick if you've a got a partner in. who loves giving injections yes exactly <laughs> perfect okay so i've had my seven days yes. of injections so then i come back in and yeah. then what happens so here um you see the thing what we do is we want our life to be simple and more convenient don't we all (laughs) (laughs) so we we call it as coasting so imagine this you have a scan on day seven and you've grown 20 follicles of between day 14 to day 18 uh, sorry 14 millimeters to 18 millimeter size and i can't go ahead and do uh, egg collection straight away so we coast your further growth of your follicles in other words, it, I don't want 18 millimeter to become 20 millimeter because then you start ovulating on your own. So we hold on to it. So you give anti-FSH injection so that further stimulation is blocked. So it freezes it, basically. Yes, yeah, they, we call it as coasting. So you oh. coast them. So they are all kind of you know, held up stage. And then you plan the egg collection at your lenient time. Oh, okay. So usually the, the coasting injection... Is, uh, we call it as GnRH agonist. Injection is given around evening time so that 36 hours later, the egg collection is timed. Okay, that's yeah. interesting. Now, mm. I have heard, and maybe this is because I think about things from a PCOS standpoint, when you have hyperstimulation, it can be quite painful that you have all those follicles sitting in there. So yeah. is that a common thing? And is it often painful or is it only really when you have this hyperstimulation? Um, I mean, in the modern uh, era, hypos- uh, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome is becoming less of, a, less of an entity, okay. less of a challenge because you can actually control the way you, you respond. Yeah, it, it's less than one to two percent. So we don't really worry too much about ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome anymore. Okay, that's good to know. So we've halted the process and we've scheduled in our egg collection. So talk me through. So do I wake up day, you know, on the day of, is it like having an operation? Do I have to not eat or drink before? Like what actually happens? So on the day of your egg collection, uh, you will will get sedation. You, You won't be put to sleep. Okay, so you will get sedated. You can't eat overnight from midnight. So usually around 8 o'clock in the morning, the egg collection will be scheduled. Uh, it is done under ultrasound guidance. So imagine having a vaginal ultrasound, but this ultrasound probe has a special 
uh, guide, uh, you know, the device attached to it so that you can pass the needle under ultrasound and you can puncture the follicles and aspirate the eggs. Clever. And, and then, you know, store them in the little test tube. And embryologists will check as soon as the doctor collects the eggs, the embryologist checks and confirms that each aspirant has the egg in it. And then they, they will be numbered and then they will be frozen and kept in a freezing tank. So how long does that process take? Usually about half an hour to 45 minutes, depending on your response. So sometimes, even though I'm saying 20 eggs, if you're lucky, you may end up producing 20 to 40 eggs. And if you have it, I will go for all the 40 eggs. Yeah, might as well if they're there. Yeah. So, um, but if you don't respond well, so instead of you responding, say, less than 10, the idea is to collect minimum 10 frozen eggs and you only responded by five. So we may have to do egg banking, means you may have to come back for a second a few round. Months, second or third round, so that we have actually 10 to 12 frozen eggs for you when you're ready for Makes becoming sense. mother. So there's actually a job as an embryologist. Yes. So what does this person do exactly? Uh, embryologist has a very minimal role, but he will confirm that each aspiration I did, there was an egg in it because I'm not sure, I'm just going purely by ultrasound findings that there's a follicle there, I'm going to puncture the follicle and I will suction it and collect it in a test tube and the embryologist will confirm that each test tube had an egg in it. Okay. Sometimes you can aspirate and there's no egg in it. Mm. Okay, so they've confirmed that we've got, got the eggs. Yeah, now, so do they then take the eggs away and yes. then they see you know, as we were talking about before, about whether or not this fertilization happens. No, here in egg freezing, we don't talk about fertilization at all. Okay. So you just... So that's uh, just a later stage. Yeah. Okay. Well, I suppose that's freezing embryos though, not freezing eggs. Correct. Right? Yeah. Okay. Now, how will I feel afterwards? So I've had this kind of 30 to 45 minute procedure. Will I feel okay? Do I have to rest? What do you typically advise your patients? I mean, women generally, because I have taken control of your cycle and I've given you the stimulatory injection so you do feel bloated because you produce 20 eggs in mm. your 10 eggs in each ovary so you do feel bloated it's very common and you do feel a bit traumatized bruised a little bit of emotional disturbance you know whether you had enough egg collection you have to pay the bill and you know whether or what you're doing is it worth it you know, these are the questions most of the time patients will be asking themselves. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So do you just advise people to kind of rest up? And, and how long does it take for the cycle to kind of go back to normal and to settle down? Usually about six weeks. Uh, having said that, I need to uh, re-emphasize one more thing. Because it's an invasive procedure and we use quite thick needle to aspirate the follicles, there's always between 1% to 2% risk that women may start bleeding from the collected surface of the ovaries and sometimes they may need a keyhole operation to identify where she's bleeding from and then stop bleeding but that's only in one to two percent of cases yeah. now how would you identify that that, yeah. that that had happened to you so say for example i go home after this procedure mm. how would i then know that there's a problem and that had happened sure. so we usually don't send patients home immediately after a collection we make them stay for about two to four hours we give them tea coffee and make sure they are feeling well they are not in pain we check their pulse, blood pressure. So we, we need to be fairly confident that there's no ongoing bleeding or any complication this patient is suffering. 
Having said this, some patients do go home and we, didn't, we, we won't be able to detect it for many reasons and then they start feeling unwell. So we do give them the uh, written information leaflet about what to expect. And what are some of the things that I should watch out for as warning signs yeah. if I go home? What would you say is not normal and I should go back in? So you start feeling unwell, you start throwing up and you start feeling distended and severe pain. Okay. And yeah. All right. And then coming back to this whole thing about freezing eggs versus freezing embryos. Now, there was this whole thing back in the day that freezing embryos was much better than freezing eggs. Is that still the case or not? Um, so your understanding is correct, but in the last two to three years, people have moved away from slow freezing of eggs to vitrification, means fast freezing. So if you do a quick snap freezing, fast freezing, the thawing process, the unfreezing process and survival rate is higher, 90% compared to 50% before. Wow, that's quite so a big difference. Everybody has moved to vitrification of uh, eggs now. So therefore, it's no longer. You don't need to worry too much about loss of eggs when you unthaw them, or when you thaw them. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so when you're undertaking a process like that, most people like to try and do something to put themselves in the best possible position ahead of time. So obviously, on the website, we talk an awful lot about how you yourself can make positive changes to your diet, your lifestyle, how you can take supplements to, I guess, enhance the quality of the eggs and to make your body as healthy as possible. So we talk about CoQ10, for example. Mm. We talk a lot about antioxidants, Mm. reducing inflammation in the body. Are these things that you personally think are helpful to do ahead of a process like this? Yes, certainly. But I wouldn't go to the extreme, you know, manipulation or extreme taking lots of different types of supplements. But I would be considerate, take like uh, your antioxidants, CoQ10, uh, eating lots of green leafy vegetables, drinking lots of water, exercise. They all are going to make your your own body system optimized. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now again talking about balances and bodying and you know all the kind of process that you go through is obviously somewhat destabilizing for the body because we are you know effectively as you say manipulating the cycle some people might not like doing that because obviously it's not particularly natural and some people might worry about the long-term consequences of you know putting a lot of hormones into your body what do you think about that? What is some of the science mm. saying are some of the long-term consequences and what should you bear in mind? I mean, in, in egg freezing, if you talk it in isolation, usually you're looking at one or two cycles of stimulation. So in reality, this shouldn't cause any patient long-term health problems. Having said that, there are anecdotal reports saying excessive risk of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and uterine cancer. But jury is not out yet. Okay. Short term, two cycles, I wouldn't worry too much about it. But if somebody is having repeated stimulation, there are uh, several case reports saying uh, increased risk of ovarian cancer. So when you say repeated, you really mean kind of like more five than... Five cycles, six ah, cycles, okay. ten cycles. That used to happen quite a lot in the past before all the embryo freezing technologies came into effect, where only they did was fresh embryo transfer. It's not a fashion anymore. 
Okay, so actually the reduce the risks have been reduced really in Correct. that. Okay, that's good to know. Now, um, when I, I've started before these podcasts, when I'm going to ask one of my experts to ask a lot of our followers some of the things they really want to ask. I've actually incorporated some of them in and sneaked them into our discussion already, but mm. I got quite a lot of questions from people asking, what's the average cost of this? So yeah. can you talk us to us about what the kind of average is, what would be expensive, what would be cheap? You know, mm. is there a big variance between providers for this? Uh, answer is definitely yes, but you're looking at around 5,000 pounds. And that's okay. for total cost? One cycle. One cycle. Some clinics, most clinics don't include drug costs, okay? So you have to buy the medicines yourself. So your medicines themselves will cost you between 500 to 800 pounds, depending on amount of dosage I decide. Ah, so more dosage is more cost, more cost. is it? Correct. Yeah. Ah, I see. Yeah. Now, say I've had this process happen, so I've paid my, say, 5,000. What about the maintenance of keeping this frozen and how long do they last? Okay, so I'll answer the first question. So the maintenance, usually some clinics say we give you first two years as a package, so you don't need to worry about first two years. But after that, every year, they charge you between 500 to 800 pounds per annum. Okay, Okay, to keep them frozen. Yeah, Yeah, and then how long? I mean, we normally say 10 years but they can be frozen indefinitely. But you have to think of this scenario. If you're 35 years old today, and I collect your eggs, and you froze 10 eggs, I would say 10 years is, is to me, less than 10 years is more practical. But if you say, I want to come back when I'm 55, for me, it is unrealistic, because highly likely your uterus may not be as receptive as in 10 years time. Well, speaking of that, in previous discussions we've had, you did talk about the fact that the uterus kind of ages around 10 years later, later than your eggs. So technically speaking, if I was, say, 30 today and mm. I got my eggs frozen, my uterus would be viable to wait till I was 40 years old. Is that definitely roughly yeah. correct? In, in Spain, uh, the last embryo transfer you can have is 50 years and 11 months. In UK, there's no age limit. So technically speaking, mm. as a 60-year-old, I could come to you mm. and say, I want to Have go for it. Transfer. Yeah, you, you can do it. And, and do many people do that? No, not no. at all. Have there been any success stories from that? Oh, a lot. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So mm. I suppose if you really are a career-focused mm. woman, you can possibly mm. wait that long. But I suppose... There are complications that come along Correct. with that. Yes. Okay, so that wouldn't be your ideal candidate no, then. No. no. Now, on the um, variance in cost, mm. should you be wary if you see a clinic offering it to be done very cheaply or is that not normal? Um, it's a good question. I mean, in my view, um, there's always a price disparity depending on the location clinics are located most of the time that is the price factor in terms of technology vitrification is considered as standard but obviously you will have different manufacturers uh, selling you vitrification machines at a different price so that does reflect the costing which will be transferred to the patient but in terms of storage 
I don't think there's going to be a lot. It's pretty much all the same. Yeah, it's, it's standardized. So another question we had is, how do you choose what's the best clinic for you? So when you're considering getting this done, mm. what are some of the things you should think about when you're looking at choosing the clinic that's mm-hmm. right for you? I mean, most important thing is that they all in people living in the UK should go for HFEA website, Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority website, who by law, all the IVF clinics have to publish their success rates, their reports, their mistakes, their incidents, clinical governance reports. So you have to take everything into consideration. Uh, And uh, based on that, they have to do their own homework. Uh, and also Google reviews and patient reviews. Everything matters. In Your terms Google of... reviews are very good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so everyone should come see you. <laughs> thank you. Um, okay, and, and then I suppose it's having a rapport with the doctor Correct. that you choose. Yes. Okay, awesome. Well, I think that's pretty clear. Well, I'll put up on the um, site mm. the link that you mentioned. Mm. Um, uh, one more thing is usually the egg freezing consultation is free. Ah, okay. Mm. So you but should when, look for when, that. When you decide for, let's say, AMH scan, the cost comes into. If you just walk into my clinic saying, I want to explore options of egg freezing, can you take me through? Most clinics offer free evenings. Oh, okay. Yeah. Speaking of cost, so one of the things that's become a bit of a growing trend is companies in Silicon Valley mm. are offering to pay. Yes for their employees yes. to actually have egg freezing done. Yes. What's your view on this? Uh, I think it's a good, good idea. But what they, they realize, the human resources have realized is if they become mothers in their 30s, they lose a lot of productivity. Mm-hmm. But if they delay it, they get the best out of their eng. These uh, women are eng. They give everything they have. So for, from that perspective, spending $5,000 on their employees is more practical for them rather than taking you know maternal leave and all of that now on coming back to that now is there also think of a bigger picture you're you're doing good to the society because you know if you're 35 i collect your egg only 50 percent are good but if you're 30 i collect your egg 80 percent are going to be good so it's a you know bigger implications are there so from that point of view i totally agree with facebook and apple now, if so, do you? We've obviously talked about the fact that technically speaking, in the UK, mm. you I could be sixty years old and put eggs back in. Mm. Is there a limit really for you? Obviously, it can't be hard and fast because everyone's an individual. But is there a point at which you start to think this is not 50. ideal? Fifty. Okay. Yeah, up to fifty. Okay, so obviously part of the reason why people may be freezing their eggs is because they're doing things in a slightly less conventional way. So whether or not that's because they're donating eggs or maybe, you know, sometimes it's just harder to meet Mr. Right. Yes. So there's obviously a difference between freezing your eggs and having frozen embryos. So can you talk us through, Mm. okay, say I'm 28 Mm. and I come in and I haven't met Mr. Right what happens between you know freezing my eggs to actually then kind of final implantation in an IVF scenario? Okay, so if you come to me after freezing your eggs and store, being stored in our lab, um, you will be given a choice of you know, having an anonymous donor if you go into one of the European countries or in the UK you will have to have a named donor. Uh, name donor doesn't mean you will know the name of the donor. 
it is your child who will have that right to know who was the donor for its creation. Wow. Okay, when the child reaches age uh, 16. Okay. So that's only in the UK? Only in the UK. Okay. So a lot of uh, UK patients go abroad because they don't like the donor being named. So they want the anonymity. So in UK, it's not uh, anonymous. Okay. So say I then decide, so I've frozen my eggs at 28 because I know that's a good time to do. And say 32, I decide that I want to use a sperm donor. Correct. What then happens to that egg to become an embryo? Okay. How does that process work? And then does it get put in immediately or can you freeze then the embryo? Can you talk us through that? So because you're 28 years old, it's highly likely that the quality of embryos we will be producing will be good quality embryos. But having said that, by default, we'll be offering pre-implantation genetic screening as an option for you. But whether you choose it or not, it's entirely up to you. Now, coming back to your first question, of choosing the donor semen. So we do give you the choice of matching your skin color, eye color, blood group is the most important. So we assess your blood group so that we match your donor semen, uh, donor's um, uh, blood group, okay? So once we agree upon the donor, uh, your frozen eggs, let's say we have frozen your 20 eggs into our lab. So we take them in batches out and then we put um, the donor's sperm and your unfrozen egg into petri dish and you wait overnight and wait for to see how many fertilized after overnight uh, you know um, putting the egg and sperm together and then is it the same thing as before where you wait for day three just to see Correct. if it's, so the it's rest exactly of the, the process same is similar to ivf Okay. Now, do you match the blood groups because you think it's less chance of then rejection? Is that how it works? Correct. Yeah. So that brings us on to kind of another discussion. So if you're using a donor egg mm. um, or a surrogate, its situation is evolved. Does that actually increase the chances of rejection or yeah. not? Yes. If you're using, if you're going through the donor egg route, the chance of rejection also come into picture. And there are some clinics who will use immunomodulators to help carry your pregnancy through. And what is an immunomodulator? So immunomodulators blunt your immune response to because you're using donor egg, which is foreign cells for your body, and you've got donor or your husband's sperm, which is foreign cell to your body. So you're going, your body has to accept two foreign cells, which is going to grow into a baby. So what they do is first 12 to 14 weeks, they give you different types of medications to blunt your immune response. Is this like an immunosuppressant, like when you have an organ transplant? It, it depends on how you respond. So it could be very simple uh, ma manipulator to just blunt your immune response to anti-immunological uh, um, uh, agents so that your uh, body is totally suppressed. So it doesn't see it as a foreign object and Correct. attack it. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. wow, there's a lot of technology that makes things yeah. uh, much better these days. Okay, so final question. We talked about the cost um, and we talked about the fact that we can actually keep these for quite a long time. But what happens if I don't pay this yearly maintenance fee? What then happens to mm. my egg? I mean, this is uh, one of the things I want my patients to carefully consider 
because there's always going to be uh, economical challenges for things which you didn't foresee. So we spend a lot of time in under, for patients to understand what happens if they don't pay their premium, yearly premium, and uh, by rule, we're not supposed to throw your eggs because just because you didn't pay your premium. So what happens is in reality, your eggs are never thrown away just because you didn't uh, pay the premium. But when you come back and you say, I want access to my eggs, we, the clinics will charge. ask to pay the due which you are supposed to be paying, but they, they don't get thrown away. And the space they occupy in the freezing tank is very minuscule. So space is not an issue. It's the, the, the challenge is about maintaining that freeze, uh, the, the tank. Okay. So basically, you should definitely, when you're considerate, factor in the cost of the maintenance Correct. as well. And some clinics do offer paying upfront tenure so that you don't need to worry about So that about you've got that correct. stress out the way. Okay. And some clinics, do, or some patients decide that somehow for some reasons they're not getting along with that clinic anymore well so they decide to move their frozen eggs from clinic a to some other foreign countries for many reasons either they relocate and they say i want it to be transferred from a to b it is doable but it is very costly yeah process. i was going to say because you have to then transport them right correct wow okay. but it is doable people yeah. have done it modern technology yeah. wonderful thing <laughs> Yeah. if not a bit pricey yeah. okay well thank you so much for your time this has been as usual super yeah. super helpful and informative and obviously Mr Karoshi's details are up on the website and if you have any questions following this please do reach out for us and uh, thank you again for your time thank you Sarah I thoroughly enjoyed your questions yay bye bye